Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Storm King's Teddy. My name's Wynn, and with me, as almost always, is Cat. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. Man, holy shit, what a session last night. Yes, it was probably the best experience in D&D I've had thus far. Yeah, it was It was a ball. Uh, we had um, a really great time. So... Just real quick off the start, um, I'm going to let you know something completely out of game. I had Casey's Pizza for supper, and I have such bad indigestion. So (laughs) if you hear me burping and erping all the way through this, that's why. So uh, Uh, have you eaten? Yeah, I had some jalapeno poppers earlier. Yeah. Oh, shit. That sounds good. (laughs) That'd make it even worse. So how do you make yours? I don't make it. I ordered them. Uh, um, so um, if you ever make it to a grocery store that just has fresh jalapeno, um, cut those in half and take as much of the seeds out as you want to make them as hot as you want or as mild as you want. And then uh, throw a piece of shrimp and a chunk of either uh, smoked Gouda or Gruyere cheese in there and wrap the whole thing in bacon and then grill them. It's pretty oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's pretty awesome. So yeah, that sounds good. Um, just hold the whole things together with toothpicks, but, uh, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the session. Um, the first, I don't know. Um, we did time-lapse shopping, which means we got more shopping done, uh, last, last night than we did in the entirety of the four hours in the session before that. Um, most everything that I wanted to get for my character, I got the exception was I am getting a Warhound, and, um, Teddy wanted to role play that. So, uh, that's the only piece I don't have. That'll be interesting. I'm curious to know what you're going to name your dog. Riley. Ah, uh, yeah. So the, uh, yeah, Teddy asked me the same thing and he already actually sent me the stats so I could kind of monkey around with it, but um, so yeah, I actually had a English Mastiff in real life. So, and his name was King Arthur's Riley and he was best dog ever. Uh, looked like he was as dumb as a box of rocks, but man, a really smart dog and, uh, the most even tempered dog I've ever seen. He'd tear your leg off if he thought you were going to hurt somebody in the family, but, um, he was great with the kids. He was, he was just a big sweetie and, uh, weighed 253 pounds when he died, still looked lanky like he hadn't filled out yet. So big boy. Yeah. Uh, great stories about him, but I won't get into that. So anyway, that's why, uh, the dog's name is going to be Riley. Um, so, uh, okay. So we got most of the shopping done. Did you get everything done that you wanted to get done shopping wise? I don't, think i needed anything necessarily like i would probably want some better armor but i don't think i have the coin for better armor right now and i have a pretty decent ac so in the in the time and just to like save time and interest i was just like okay i don't need anything we're kind of speed shopping as you said so there wasn't i didn't want to like add on to anything plus i can't really think of anything that i need at the moment sure and Um, i i think you're right better armor for us means plate or half plate, right? Is half plate a right. step better than what we have? And it something's better than chain. 
Well, yeah, I, I know like full plate is, and that's like fifteen hundred uh, book value to buy. So, uh, but I I don't I don't remember where half plate falls in the scheme. It's probably better than chain also, and don't remember how much it is. So, but yeah, you're right. Well, whatever step up for uh, our yours and Keelan's chainmail is 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 going to be costly. Yeah, and we're not quite there yet. We've only done one dungeon thus far. Right. So, and but we did get into our second um, kind of dungeon delve last night, and because we uh, ran over to uh, Porsche's shop and we all walked inside. First of all, talk about the shop. Yeah, the her shop, which I was expecting is you know kind of like what you would normally see like a storefront or with some shelves maybe and like a counter and then like a back room or something or like a waiting area you know if it's even that more fancy yeah maybe some rooms up over top you know you know a couple of like you know storage rooms or a bedroom or something yeah 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 like kind of like a yeah like what you said with the sleeping quarters up top and whatnot but no her shop was a whole ass mansion (laughs) yeah full on So, um, huge downstairs area, just as big upstairs. Um, also interesting that the upstairs was separated into two parts that were not both accessible. Like there wasn't one staircase up and then you could access the entire upstairs. There were two staircases, I guess three, because one of them was like a double staircase. Um, there were three staircases that went up. Two of them went up to like the living areas and then another one went up to like servants' quarters and laundry and that kind of thing. And the two could not meet upstairs. So, yeah, it was much when, when I hear shop, I'm thinking, you know, like you said, place where you sell your wares out of, maybe some work going on out back and, you know, uh, pretty rudimentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we walked in, you know, I had the dynamic lighting. So we walked in, there was a little foyer. I'm like, all right, this is kind of big. And then once we found the enemies and uh, locked the door, they, the enemies were in the backyard. And we locked the door to the backyard. Yeah, walled in like, backyard. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Teddy's like, okay, I'm going to turn off the dynamic lighting since you found where the enemies are. And just like that, it is just like a pop. And it, everything lit up. And I'm like, holy crap. There are rooms upon rooms upon rooms in this place. Yeah, there's like a water feature in one out of every three rooms. And I mean, it was just, yeah, very opulent. It was much more than I was expecting. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we, when we went in, the shop was being searched or the, at least the rear courtyard of the shop was being searched. And it was by a bunch of jackals led by a jackal wear or wear jackal. There is a difference, like one's a jackal that turns into a human and one's a human that turns into a jackal or something like that. But um, I don't remember which one it was, and I honestly don't know which way they turned. Do you remember? Um, I think Teddy described it as a were jackal. Okay, so, so um, it, it, usually if were precedes, like werewolf, it's a person that turns into whatever creature, wolf, bear, whatever. Okay. If it's the animal name, then where it's usually the opposite. It's the animal that can kind of assume a human or humanoid shape. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that's always been the convention before. Honestly, don't even know if it still applies in fifth edition. 
And like I said, don't remember which one this character was described as. Um, but there was a solid, what, 15 jackals or so. And then there, there was a good number enough to have me worried. They, because, uh, and they we could, were in, sorry, go ahead. No, it's, uh, they could bite, but, um, actually pretty easy to kill. Yes. That's, that's, that was the deceiving part of the entire dungeon. Spoiler. Um, because they kind of like traveled in packs. So they had lower HP advantage if they were next to each other, but they didn't all hurt that much. So there was a lot of them, but they're, they were easily taken down. So like once I saw like a couple go down, I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought. It was still pretty bad because we were indoors confined to like small areas and they could just come from almost everywhere. So we kind of had to funnel them in a little bit. And we actually had a pretty good plan to do that. So there was one hallway that went to the outside we knew that they could get in through the, some of the windows, even though they only looked like arrow slits to me in the in the photo. Uh, Teddy described them as windows. And then, so what we tried to do, believe it or not, we actually hit a party stealth roll. And even with you and I in chain, <laughs> and so we were sneaking around pretty successfully. We saw them before... They saw us, so we locked them into the courtyard. We knew they were looking for something. We didn't know what. And then the idea was, well, if they can break in through some of the windows in the back, we need to be barricading doors on the inside as well. So uh, Winifred and I went down the hallway to where the back door was, and then there were like small rooms on each side. So we went into those rooms waiting to for them to funnel through down that hallway, and then we would be able to flank them. Meantime, the rest of you guys were out and trying to move like crates and furniture around to barricade the doors inside, and that blew our stealth roll. So in they yeah. came, and none of them came down the hallway that Winifred and I were guarding because that door was locked, and they were just jumping through windows and then coming in that way. But it did kind of split them up, like you said, instead of letting them hit as a pack, where I'm sure they would have been much more effective. We kind of hit them in ones and twos. I think the most we had to deal with at one time was four, I think. Uh, yeah, because there was three by you and Prue and one by um, Lars and I. Okay, so, yeah, they, they didn't have much of a chance to – because – there were two or three of them together at one time, like you said, and then um, they got some sort of a bonus. So I'm guessing the more of them that there were, the bigger the bonus would have been or something. Um, yeah. So, but they were actually fairly easy to dispatch. The The leader, the werejackal, evidently had some sort of magic they could use, whether the, they were a magic-using class or if that's just a function of... Uh, being a jackal, don't know, but they um, were able to cast some sort of mind-affecting spells. But we ended up doing some damage at range, and then once we had, I think, all but one of the jackals down, then we uh, closed, and was it uh, Portia that hit the jackal with a 
uh, firebolt and knocked mm-hmm. her off the wall because we yes. had found out that they were what they had been looking for was Porsche's apprentice, uh, it Gilda. Is that right? Yep. And so they had Gilda slung over their shoulder and were trying to climb the courtyard wall to escape and um, got knocked off of the wall. And we did some questioning. So, um, yeah, tell us about that. Um, first off, the question on Porsche's mind the entire start of the campaign from beginning to now was, is her, por- is her Porsche, is her assistant alive? And the answer is yes. She was a little shocked, um, dehydrated, starving, mumbling, you know. She was, um, I think we found her buried in the backyard. Yeah, like half buried, yeah. Yeah, and then the jackal took her and was trying to escape with her. So you fed her and and uh, Portia healed her, and then she felt better. And um, there was this this uh, like clock pocket watch in her mouth, which they called the the traveler's timepiece or yep. timepiece of the traveler. Yes, which was something Portia has been working on. Like this is her her big thing that she's working on. Cause as an artificer, she's tinkering with whatever. And if I r- recall correctly, this is, um, the timepiece is to remove the traveler's curse in Zendrick. Yeah. That's the idea anyway. And uh, so Teddy described it as kind of rune in- inscribed and the runes were in Elven and giant, like a pocket watch. And, um, uh, he he mentioned it being called a Titanic relic, and and then uh, called it also the timepiece of the traveler, and yeah, like you said, they've been tinkering with it, and then someone had tried to use it, and like they had disappeared, but the watch hadn't. Do you yes. remember that? I don't, I don't remember who it was that tried to use it though. I think it was implied one of the burglars preceding the jackals um like a couple days before came in and ransacked her place but no valuables were taken so they were clearly looking for something but they found the timepiece and like you said they used it and were teleported but the timepiece itself didn't go with them right and then and also the uh, the apprentice Gilda said something about having hidden it in their mouth and, yep. and they were kind of stunned because of that. Yeah. She, I, uh, I wasn't catching everything that was happening at that moment, but it, it was like she, something was happening to her because it was in her mouth. And she, and whoever had sent the jackals, they wanted, really probably just the timepiece, but they figured if they couldn't just find the timepiece that the apprentice would have it or know where it was. So the idea was either bring the timepiece or Gilda. And then, uh, we kind of stumbled in at that point. And I guess this all happened. Uh, this, this whole ordeal started right after the giant attack on Stormreach. Um, because they had, um, there were mercs that broke in and they started ransacking the place. Yeah. Um, okay. It sounds, it sounds like this could have happened like as we were pulling into port from the, 
from the details Teddy gave us, it was like he said it was a couple days prior to this incident. So it it could have been happening while we were in our other dungeon, and we just don't know because we didn't go to Portia's shop right away. And the way that the way that the um, Werejackal said this was that there was a half elf and an old gnome uh, by the name of Huber that was looking for the watch um, and then said that they had spent a lot of time in the basement after um, after she ran away. So uh, we knew after we had searched the second floor and the main floor of the house, we knew that we were going to have to go down into the basement, which was through a hidden passage. And, oh, um, yes, so... Portia healed her apprentice and have to say that was very much in character because obviously she was very worried about her, but I still think that this is, this is another, this is another, um, especially when we're low level like this and our resources are limited or this was the first, um, spell that we had burned that wasn't combat oriented. Like it was in between combats where, you know, a long rest would have just as easily healed her. And so I thought there was a wasted spell slot there, but obviously still very in character for Portia. So, yeah. um, you know, I mean, in hindsight, knowing what we fought, yes, that was a wasted spell slot. Right, and that's but, that's that's where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. And knowing what we we faced later in the dungeon. So, uh, okay. So then let's go to, um, uh, or is there anything else to cover before we went down into the basement? Um, only thing is, is we left um, the were jackal with Gilda up top and called for Captain Trellis to come back and take her into custody. And Portia took us downstairs. Did we call her... for Captain Trellis? I don't know if we explicitly did, but I think it was implied that we might have. I thought that was one of our, I thought that was one of our options, but that we had left the, um, that we had left this where Jackal with, Gilda bound and we were waiting to see what we found in the basement before we made a decision whether to turn her over to the police or not or to that's, the to the watch that's probably what happened uh, you I could, just remember you could be right saying, too because I don't uh, uh, there's you know details that I missed so yeah the this was the first half of our session and the first half of the dungeon and Honestly, I expected more just saying this now. At the time, I was expecting more. I'm like, the werejackals were easy, or not the werejackals, the jackals were easy. The werejackal had some abilities, but it was nothing too scary. And at this point, I was kind of expecting some more out of this dungeon. But then we got downstairs. Yeah. So uh, I was I was with you. I thought that the I thought that the individual jackals were going to be a little bit tougher opponents, a little harder to put down. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, we got through this fairly easily. Uh, we didn't even use a ton of resources. Uh, 
at this point, Keelan hadn't used a single spell, um, you know, of the three that I have. And then we went down to the basement through a secret passage. And this, this is where things get a little saucy. Yeah. So we, when we first got to the basement, we were in a room where we saw several secret doors that were sprung open. And we also saw uh, a few regular doors to go through. We, uh, when we checked out one of the rooms, the, um, the people who had been here before us, I don't, it is confusing to me whether it was Mercs other than the Jackals or if it was the Jackals that did this, but they had rigged one of the crates with three flasks of alchemist fire to explode, but it was found and disarmed. So we acquired three more flasks of alchemist fire and Keelan was rubbing her hands together and got an inspiration for it. <laughs> So then we, um, we checked out the, uh, the other rooms that we could see and then ended up in a, in an area where we, um, so there was like a 10 foot deep chasm in a room and it extended almost the entire, um, length of the room, two bridges at different places that crossed it. And we saw that there were corpses down inside the chasm and they were being eaten by large bugs. Yes. And it was, it was also at this point, Teddy mentioned to you and me specifically saying that we felt a very dark, evil presence. Yeah. Coming from a couple of places. Yeah. And that's when I activated my divine sense for the first time, just to get a feeling for what it does and what I can do with it. Um, we found out there is a couple undead and a couple areas, but nothing significant stood out other than that. But that was but significant. And it turned out to be. Yes. Yes. So we Porsche starts making a move to go North uh, along one side of this chasm to go across the Northern bridge because that's the route that she knows to her workshop. But since you had found a evil presence, um, across the South bridge, uh, I went down that way with Lars and, uh, Winifred and, uh, really at the start, it was Winifred and I, Lars was kind of lagging behind and, We did our tried and true split up gang. Let's look for clues. But we did it better this time because it was kind of three and three. So at least we were, you know, still, we still had a modicum of support around us. We weren't just like soloing somewhere. Or I don't think anybody did. I could, the dynamic lighting was back on by this point and I couldn't really see what you guys were doing over at the bridge. No, we were, we were sticking together. But we did split up into pairs of three. Yeah, and I'm a whole lot more okay with that than just one person going off on their own so far that we can't reach them. So tell us what you found. All right, so um, in a room along that southern corridor, um, I made a perception check, and there were uh, undead uh, cockatrices 
uh, underneath two of the beds in that in that uh, room that I'd gone into. So I stepped out of the room to tell Winifred what was going on and had to roll initiative. The combat started. I was fortunate enough to roll high, and so I got to go before either of the cockatrices went, and I was able to throw protection from evil on myself and stand in the doorway. And this was by far the best bit of combat that I've done since we started because I was able to block enemies from getting through me to my friends and um, they were still able to poke at them from around the doorway. I wasn't doing great as far as, <laughs> as far as my attacks, but I, I could take the attacks from uh, because they were undead protection from evil gave them disadvantage to hit me. So they had to hit a um, 16 or 18 armor class with uh, disadvantage, and then the only time that one of them was going to actually land a blow, I used a point of lucky to make them re-roll, and they blew that one. Which is good, because each time that these things peck at you, I guess it's a, I'm assuming it's a save, um, or petrification, because we found a petrified body in the, uh, it was a kobold, right? In the the room? Yes. Yes, a kobold. So this combat went on for like four rounds and I, as, as Winifred would come up and Winifred did most of the damage, to be honest, he would just poke that rapier in and he was skewering these chickens and I was throwing toll the dead. (laughs) So I, I have to, I have to talk about that. I have a 60% chance if, if, if Teddy has to roll a 13 with no bonuses, I have a 60% chance of landing Toll the Dead. And every time I cast it, my percentage of landing that spell is under 30. <laughs> yeah, he had some pretty good rolls last night. Uh, but I'm, I mean, for the for the entirety of the game so far, I've, I've done Toll the Dead. I The way I count it is 11 times. And I have landed three. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's just that's just me griping about dice. So, uh, but the, but it was good because I was able to keep these these two birds from the cockatrices from getting out and and turning anybody to stone. And then, uh, just as we're down to the last one. Lars rushes through <laughs> like, Oh my God, why is he doing this? Why he should be poking through the doorway. Like, uh, like Winifred is. And he just ran into the room. I'm like, Oh my God, he's going, he's going to get turned to stone. And, uh, but he actually landed the killing blow on the second one. So it all the, that combat ended up pretty good. Yes. That's what was happening with your side of the party. My side of the party, while the same time this was going on, had a much different experience. Um, In the end, we all got into the same area, but there was Portia, Prue, and myself on the northernmost part of the chasm, already crossed the bridge. And And everything you're describing has happened concurrently to these four rounds of us fighting these cockatrice. 
Correct. Yep. Yes. So as Wind and, or sorry, as Keelan and um, Winifred are fighting and Lars, this is all happening at the same time. We were told by Teddy that we heard a scream and the spells going off, or was it? Was it a scream? Well, he, he didn't he make a noise and goes, I don't think that's what it would sound like, but you hear commotion right. and, you, and you hear fighting right. and yeah. And you hear Keelan casting a spell. And Yeah. So we heard noises and we're Portia, Prue and myself are about 60 feet away plus from the rest of the party. So I got to act i rolled pretty good on my initiative so i got to act pretty high in the initiative order i ran across used my action to double my movement i ran across the bridge went off went across a little part and met up with the group well that little part that i ran across was like i don't know i for lack of a better term it was yes it was unstable thank you um and i had to make an athletics or an acrobatics check to make sure i didn't fall into the pit and if you fell into the pit you were going to be attacked by the swarms of insects that were feasting on the corpses yes okay yes and the pit is uh 10 feet the walls were 10 feet so it's not like a oh it's just a little pit it was actually a pretty far down there um so i didn't know that but once my turn ended i told Portia and Prue, like, hey, watch out. There's a spot that you're going to fall in. So just be careful. So Prue went next. She didn't dash and double her movement. She walked across and was very careful and put herself in a position to aid Portia on her next turn. So if she wanted to double her movement and get with the rest of the party, she could she'd, do that with like advantage. advantage. Yeah. Yep. Well, in paper, this all worked out fine. In practice, Portia already had her mind set on which direction she was going to go. And it wasn't and that com- direction. <laughs> and it was not the direction I, me, and uh, Prue went. She went the complete other side of the chasm. So if the top of the a- map was north and the chasm ran north-south, there was an east and a west side to this and the bridge crossing it in two places. And you guys were running on the west side, right? Yes. And then Portia, instead of crossing the bridge and running down the west side also, ran down the east side where nobody was standing. Correct. Right. And there was also, there on the eastern side was also another slippery part that she had to make an athletics or acrobatics check with. Unfortunately, she rolled a six and fell into the pit. And do we, is this where we start talking about inspirations? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can do that with, uh, inspirations were not kind to us last night. I mean, it's always good to have another shot at something. So certainly not knocking, having inspirations, but our inspiration roles as a party sucked last night. <laughs> yep. Uh, did did anybody improve? One person I, did, right? I think there was a couple times where like Lars rolled a 10 and had inspiration and rolled a 13 instead, so it wasn't like a significant difference. Uh see, who who was it that rolled two 13s? 
like a 13. Um, I'm going to use inspiration. Roll the 13. And then Teddy's like, roll again just to make sure that the dice are rolling correctly. That was Winifred. Okay, it was Winifred. So, <laughs> and yeah, I, I did the same thing when I used my inspiration. It was, <laughs> I were, I went from bad to worse. I mean, I, I couldn't fail any more than I already failed. But <laughs> it's, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, we we used our inspirations, and the inspiration gods were not kind to us that day. Um, but but anyways, we Porsche ran across the east side, leaving Prue hanging on the west side, and she fell down the chasm and was beginning to be eaten by the worms. And uh, let me tell you this: those worms hit hard. Yeah, so um, they were, but it wasn't worms, was it? It was like stinging bugs and slugs, and I mean, yeah, it was, it was a like, concoction of yeah, all kinds exactly. of different stuff. And yeah, the damage they were dealing out, I was like, holy cow! They had, let's see, was it two d ten that they were rolling, something like that? It was. It was at least an eight or a ten. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot of damage, especially for a um, somebody with second level hit points. Yes, it was enough that um, I think one of the insects crit, so they had crit damage as well. They took Portia from full with temp HP to dead yes. in one attack. Done. <laughs> one shot. She was out cold, being eaten alive in the pit and so at this point that was the first round of combat second round of combat happened you know uh keelan and winifred are still doing their thing with the cockatrices it was at this point where i think teddy gave us another big bone where (laughs) i had some rope there was a rock nearby i tied myself i used my movement i tied myself to the rock and tied the rock and i went down into the pit and grabbed Portia. So that took my movement. The tying of the rope took my action. And I asked if my bonus action could be used to grab Portia. And it worked with an athletics check. So I think that was another bone Teddy gave us. But the... And it wouldn't insects, be the last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> There's a lot. At some point we were just like, hey, can we do this? Because you allowed it this other time. And we we kind of abused the system a little bit, I think. But the insects were still eating Portia alive, but I had her in my arms, and I, next turn, was going to take her up and take her out of the pit. And even though she was dead and dying, um, we saved her before she could make any death saves. So, spoiler alert. But <laughs> we did it. We got her out the next turn. Crew used her aid action to like pull on the rope. So then all it did was just take my movement to get us to get Portia and myself out of the pit. And then I attacked the bugs next to me. They scurried away. I didn't kill it. They're just like, okay, I did. I did some amount of damage. They're like, okay, we're done. And just left. There were still bugs eating Portia that Lars, I think did a vicious mockery on them and killed a single bug and it curled up and died. But that gave advantage on the next attack to Prue 
which she nailed and finished off all the bugs and just executed like a surgeon, removing all the bugs and getting them all off uh, Portia. And yeah, that was pretty cool. Her. That was really good. And it should be noted that Lars was kind of um, going both ways. So he had he had a visual on myself and Winifred down the hallway, but he was actually standing out where the chasm was, so he had visual on everybody at the same time. So that's why he was able to do vicious mockery on you guys, also giving me bardic inspiration. Yep. Yeah. So. And so at that point, I saved Portia with the help of Prue and Lars. Um, it was the next time it was a third round of combat. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go help out Keelan and Winifred now. So I left Portia in the hands of Lars and Prue. I ran over to the cockatrices, took a swack at a cockatrice, didn't kill it. And then Lars came in and barged his way through and finished it off in a flurry of stripes stripes swipes strikes swipes it's that's yeah it's like when somebody says stop and don't and it comes out stone (laughs) go ahead but yeah that that ended that combat for the moment we healed up portia she drank a potion which we bought in speed shopping which was really i'm really glad we bought potions because this next encounter is when for lack of a better term shit hit the fan and we yeah and we so, went right into it yes it was, and, okay um I'll raise my hand this was full on keelan's fault so i had cast protection from evil and we fought the cockatrice battle and i still had uh, probably well by the time i made it into the other room i had five rounds of it left and i wanted to not waste my spell because if the other evil that you sensed was also undead, I wanted to have that same ability to have, to be able to tank while you guys picked it apart. So I rushed into the room to the North and there were runes all over the place, like glowing runes and a gateway. So I moved up within, um, I think it was 10 feet of the gateway. No, it was, I was within five feet of it. 10 feet. You were supposed to be safe from getting sucked in. And I didn't even know that that was a thing, but as soon as I got that close, it tried to suck me in and I made my uh, strength check to not get sucked in. I probably should have waited though and burned the spell and just let us all kind of get situated and, and, um, get our wits back about us instead of rushing into that other room. So that was on me. Um, but we went up there and, uh, once again, we, we had to figure out which of these runes to destroy. If we destroyed the wrong ones, they could explode and, and hurt us. But if we destroyed the correct ones, and I think there were three of them that had to be destroyed that way, then we would close the gate. And that was the, the goal. And while we were figuring this out, a, uh, is it gibbering Mather? Gibbering. Gibbering Mather showed up from the gate 
and started attacking us. And I would just like to say that our party in the other 5th edition game is ninth level. And we just ran into one of these things. Yes. Now, there were other circumstances going on as well, but we had trouble. Um, yes. Um, unlike our other 5th edition game, where we ran into the Gibbering Mouther, not only were you down a man, I was controlling the Gibbering Mouther. So technically you were fighting me. Right. And So there were, that there, was, there were extenuating so, circumstances in the other game where we couldn't just unload. Um, but the, but still, um, pretty solid opponent here. Um, yes. Um, hits considering hard we were ninth, yeah, considering we were ninth level facing a gibbering mouther. And then all of a sudden when he popped up that picture of the gibbering mouther and I'm sitting here going like, we're only second level. I laughed and face palmed <laughs> at the same time. Cause I'm like this, I, I am familiar with this enemy. This is the first time I'm familiar with an enemy. And I know we're in for it. And this was just a spike increase. This Teddy cranked this encounter up to 11. Yes. Um, uh, thank you, Spinal Tap. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, a, uh, that's a good way to put it. And so this, this combat was um, a little more involved. So uh, once again, I put myself up front to present a target. And my protection from evil did work on the Mouther. So it had disadvantage to hit me. Um, it did succeed in hitting me one time, I believe. Which, again, I um, was able to throw off by using Lucky and getting another roll. Um, but still, uh, this was... You know, I was trying to hold the dead... I, I did manage to hit it once with my mace. Didn't do a whole lot of damage, but you know, every little bit helps. But it was all you guys that were doing the damage again. Winifred had run through the room out the other the, the door to the north and was going to try and uh, attack it from, I'm assuming, range from there. But then this portal or the mouther or something started trying to suck us into the portal. So he was having to make strength checks to keep out of the grip of the portal, along with other people in the room having to do the same thing. The The Mouther had uh, blown its nose on the floor in like a 15-foot radius, and then uh, the all the snot hardened up like concrete. Keelan couldn't move. Was I the only one that was that was stuck completely stuck. It was, diff um, it was difficult terrain for everyone, but I, I think I was the only one that was stuck. Wasn't I? Yes, because you had to make a strength saving throw in order to move. And right. if you passed, you had, you had, you could move, but if you failed, you were like cemented into, in your position. Yeah. And I failed. So, um, fight ensues. Um, and you guys are doing pretty decent damage to this thing. Um, and it's mostly focused on me as far as the physical attacks. But the like gravity well attacks where everybody's being drawn into the portal or towards the mouther, um, they're affecting everybody. And then we had a 
a really disastrous round. <laughs> yes. Early on, the Mouther did its blinding spitting attack or whatever, and that affected everyone in the room. Yeah, I so I missed everyone. my save, and so I was blind, and so yeah. was me. You, yeah. We were the only two that got blind. Everyone else made their save, and they weren't blinded. Um, and that really put a damper on things because the position I was in and me being blind, I couldn't do anything. I had a turn where I took about a good three minutes just trying to decide what the hell to do. <laughs> I was, um, and I have to say, Teddy was very patient and nobody, nobody griped, which was good. Um, but, uh, I was uh, at any second, I was going to say, I was ready for him to say, all right, you got 10 seconds or you're, you've skipped your turn. Uh, so I imagine as we get farther along, that'll probably happen, but still it was good that, yeah, you were able to, I mean, you've never played a paladin before. You didn't know exactly, no. you know, what you wanted to do. So I think that he, everybody understood that. So, yeah. So it was at this point, people were being sucked in by the portal. I was being sucked in. Lars was being sucked in. Portia and Prue was being sucked in. I think you and Winifred were perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, so um, I made the argument that I should have advantage to my strength check because I was cemented in place and Teddy's like, yep, I'll go, I'll go with that. Um, so, and that was probably the best role I made all night because I, so I had advantage and I, so I rolled with advantage and both of them came up twenties. Well, modified twenties. I had a, so they both came up eighteens, I guess. Um, but yeah, everybody else is getting sucked towards the portal. So we go in a mad scramble trying to figure out how to help each other not get sucked into the portal. This was a moment where I feel like we kind of abused the rules a little bit because we were just like, hey, can we use my reaction as like a reverse? Um, what What's it called? The When you leave someone's radius and the attack of opportunity. Right. So we we made the argument, hey, since... If an enemy leaves your area of influence or area of attack, we call, we can take an attack of opportunity if we have a reaction left. Can we, as as one of our friends is racing by us towards this portal, can we, quote unquote, attack of opportunity them to assist them to not, uh, you know, basically to give them advantage to not go into the portal. And so... Teddy's thought about it for a while. I was like, yeah, I can, I can see how that would work. I mean, they're, they're, they are, you know, like racing by you. It is kind of the same function. You're instead, but instead of trying to slash them with a sword, you're trying to like give them a hand to not get sucked in. So he let us do that. And I can't even remember all the roles that got made and all the modifiers that got made. And in, in one case, I think we even had a situation where one of you gave, uh, like person A gave person B the advantage. And then the person B, after they made their role with that advantage, turned around and gave it to person A. 
Yeah, that was that was a back and forth between Lars and I where Lars made his his save, but I just missed mine, but he's just like, Hey, I'm gonna hold on to Tabane and yeah. make sure she doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so you get to roll advantage. Then I made mine. Right. And then he said that he threw me over into the doorway on the south side. And then his next save, Lars's next save, he failed. And I'm like, well, hey, can I use my reaction to not let go of Lars to give him advantage? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and and then he did that again, and he still failed and got sucked towards a portal. And at this point, you're standing in front of the portal, and you're like, hey, can I use my reaction to just push out my arms and keep people from going into the portal? Yeah, so I, I'd, I'd been standing front and center. The portal was in the corner of the room. And I'd been standing front and center on this thing the entire time and was cemented in place. I had already, I had already had the gravity effect happen to me once before. So I was like, all right, I'm blind, but I know what's going on, you know, in my general area. So I just flung my arms out to the side so that anybody passing by me could latch on. And Teddy's like, I'm not going to give him another roll with advantage. But what's your strength bonus? I'm like, it's two. He said, all right, I will let them modify their already existing roles by that much. That saved Lars. I guess it was a a difficulty rating of 15. He had a 13. So it just saved him. But it didn't save Portia. Uh, Prue was holding on to Portia, and her mechanical arm was coming apart. And... So Teddy's like, are you, if you don't let her go, the arm is definitely going to fail. And, um, Prue was like, there's no way that I would, that I would not still hold on to her. So her arm shatters and Portia goes flying towards the portal. And uh, just uh, when we had destroyed the last room and when, uh, it shut, it shut on her arm on Portia's arm and left her without an arm and almost dead again. Yep. And, and keep in mind, Mouther is still alive at this point. Mouther's still up and running. Yeah. And we're past time. So Teddy's like, all right, well, we'll pick this up next week. And everybody's like, Oh no, <laughs> we've got to keep yeah. going. And so everybody's like, huh? sounding off uh, we we should uh we should still go we should still go and i'm like i don't have work tomorrow i can go as late as you guys want to and teddy's like all right if everybody wants to stay we can finish the combat so we did i think we ended up getting done at like a quarter after or so and um <laughs> so it was really cool actually that he was willing to put up with us for another 15 minutes but we um we did get the Mouther finished off and the portal closed. We still know that there's an evil presence down in the basement here where we are, but we're a little strung out. Keelan has a spell left and, um, we've, we've got two characters now with one arm. (laughs) Uh, and so I, and in the, uh, role play, uh, we've we've already been hitting it pretty hard since last night, um, and I think that the current plan is that we go back upstairs and kind of recuperate before we come back down. 
And now, if it wasn't already hard to distinguish Prue and Portia, it's now become even harder. <laughs> Somebody posted. There. Who was it? That, was it Finger Wiggle that posted the um, the two Spider Mans <laughs> yeah, pointing at each, each other? other. <laughs> yeah, uh, I always I, I've said for a long time. I always get the P names confused, and now both of the P names have one arm each, <laughs> so it's going to be even worse. Uh, so yeah. And as, as bad as you guys got messed up last night, I didn't get a scratch on me. I think you might be the only one that hasn't gotten a scratch. I, I didn't, I didn't get a scratch in the, in the, uh, fight with the, with the jackals. I didn't get a scratch in uh, either of the combats down in the, down in the basement. So, uh, and I, uh, but I, I will say that I think that those two cockatrices running around could have severe, we could have seen a total party kill with that because all they had to do was hit and they could petrify us all. Yeah, and I, I don't know if Lay on Hands could fix that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, and that was something else, too. You were talking about Teddy throwing his bones. I don't know that um, by rule of law that laying on hands would cure blindness. Like, yes, like that healing, was, healing that damage. That was the moment where... Yes. That was the moment where I took three minutes about my turn because I asked Teddy if I could if I could use five points of lay on hands to cure my blindness. Um, before I did a little research and it seemed like that wasn't a no-go, but he graciously allowed it and that ate my action and I then casted a spell to protect Prue, fighting Mouther, and it it worked in the end. But I think that was another bone given to us. Yeah, for sure. And um, because uh, normally I would say, you know, it's not usually that big of a deal. Actually, in basic D&D, the Cure Light Wound spell will cure paralysis or heal damage. One of You, you get your pick. And so, I mean, there's, I'm not going to say there's not precedent for it. Um, but I think since, you know, additions have gone on and on that um it's more or less what's the there's a cleric spell second level um that will heal a uh, a condition like blindness or paralyzation or can't remember what it's called but um i know that um healing or life domain clerics get it as a as a bonus um but anyway, it's, um, I mean, there's specific spells for that now and, and instead of just healing damage. So, but still, um, rule of cool. So that was, it was nice that he was willing to let you do it. Yeah, it was, it was a very well organized disorganized session. It was, it was a great session. And even the, even the things that, you know, as, as I sit here and in retrospect, look back and like, uh, you know, it, so Prue kind of wasted her turn when Portia didn't run that direction or, 
maybe we shouldn't have cast a spell here or whatever. You don't ever know it in the moment. And I will also say that um, everybody's doing a great job with role play because that it's it even even if it's not optimal for combat, it's optimal for the person's or the character's personality. So I think that's actually cool that people are staying that much in character. Yeah, I agree. Everyone's been doing a great job. So it was a good session. Um, and like you said, I, I, I certainly think that it's been the most exciting session that we've had so far in this campaign. And uh, we got the most done. We still didn't pick a name. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. But we mostly got one. Yeah, mostly. Um, and so we can talk about the uh, chat next session. Yeah, the RP chat. Yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, there's some cool stuff to cover there too, uh, mostly around uh, Winifred. Yes. So. I I agree. All right. Uh, well, what else you got? I think that about covers it up. Well, then uh, we've got another um, we've got another podcast to cut here. Right after we get done with this one, we're actually getting Teddy on. That'll be fun. It'll be great. So another um, interview. Yeah, and um, those have been a lot of fun too. So. Um, Portia, Prue, you're the only two now after Teddy. So if you want to come on, more than happy to have you. So, Kat, appreciate you doing this as always. Thank you. And we will talk to everyone later. Later.